thank you for being here. Excited for another Friday for the Fundraising Academy Cost Selling Education Ask and Answer episode. Thank you again to Fundraising Academy for being our exclusive sponsor and allowing Julia and I to truly have this amazing conversation where the entire episode we are answering your questions. So thank you again for joining us today. We want to make sure that we thank our sponsors. Again, thank you so very much for your investment, not only here in the episodes and the show, but truly in our community and sector at large. So I want to give a big, bold shout out. Thank you to Bloomerang, your part-time controller, Fundraising Academy, Nonprofit Nerd, American Nonprofit Academy, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, as well as the Nonprofit Atlas. We say thank you, thank you, thank you for helping so many of us continue our mission forward. All of our episodes, if you miss them or want to watch them again, perhaps you want to have a streaming party with your with your friends and colleagues, you can find all of our episodes archived on Roku, YouTube, Fire TV, and Vimeo. Those are available 24-7, so you don't have to worry about when you sign on for us here. These are available at your beck and call and on demand. We are also streaming and plat- sorry, podcast platform to over 20 different podcasting channels. So if you are a podcaster like I am, please go ahead and tell uh, your podcast to cue us up, the nonprofit show, and you can listen to us wherever you might go. Julia Patrick, it's great to be here with you, CEO of the American Nonprofit Academy. I'm Jarrett Ransom, your nonprofit nerd, CEO of the Raven Group. And we've got a deck of questions. We've got so many questions that have come in. You know, we have been doing episodes now for going on three years. So again, over 500 episodes, over 800 video elements, and these questions still stump us. There's still questions that come in and we think, hmm, that's a good one. So what do we have today, Julia? Well, first, before we move into this, I want everyone to know that, you know, on the production side, we see these questions and we see them in advance. And, and um, so we're, they're not a total shocker. Jarrett Ransom, the nonprofit nerd, my nonprofit nerd, your nonprofit nerd does not see these in advance. Yeah. Put those glasses on sister. I have to, because I have to be able to see clearly. Right. I mean, you're right. I, I do not see these yeah. questions. So they literally are, you know, impromptu coming from my 20 years of wisdom in the sector. Yeah, it's pretty ding, ding, dang impressive. So um, let's go to Bridget from Los Angeles, California. I'm moving forward to another nonprofit in my community to lead a finance department. I would like to send an email to my contacts to let them know about this exciting change. But I gather from my associates in the fundraising department that this is wrong. Can you please advise me as to what is proper protocol? Oh, that's interesting. It's very interesting. Well, and even more so that fundraising department in particular is the one saying, no, no, that we're not going to do this. So, so again, interesting here. My recommendation is that uh, there is an email that is sent out, right? So that one of the things I've learned in media, and Rick DeBrule has shared this with us here, Julia, is 
if you don't tell someone the story, they will make up their own story. So Bridget, I would love for you and any other staff member that is parting in a very amicable way to send an email to your contacts, letting them know that it's been a pleasure working with them. Thanks for their partnership. You have taken on another opportunity uh, that you have sought out, right? Like you're seeing this as a, as a personal professional development opportunity and to let them know who they should contact in your absence. So that I think is, is great. I have seen in these emails, Bridget, where maybe they'll say, would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Here's my professional profile on LinkedIn. So it's really not connecting, you know, to your next mission or to your next organization, you're maintaining that individual return on relationship that we've talked about so very much. So for me, that's good etiquette. That's good business practice. It's not poaching. It's not saying, hey, come with me to this other organization. It's literally saying, it's been an honor to work with you. I've chosen the next chapter in my book, you know, and if you'd like to stay in touch with me personally and professionally, I I ask you connect with me on LinkedIn and here's who your contact will be going forward. I love that. I love everything you said. And I agree. Um, it, especially in finance where people can get a little skittish, like, Oh my God, they're having problems. You yes. know, to say to make it positive and then to make the introduction to the next leader, you know, right. which is, I think really a valiant thing because I would imagine Bridget has a, a strong sense and tie to this organization. That's not going away. It's yeah. just a different opportunity. And, and keep it, you know, positive and keep it connected. And I love what you had to say. Good job. Good. Show over. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have a question uh, for you. Do you think that it, the, the interesting part and the second part, I gather from my associates in the fundraising department that this is wrong. Do you think that this is because fundraising folks have a very, strict protocol about taking their their donor investors with them and so that's why that he's or she's getting this message yes i do that that. Mm -hmm. and again fundraising or not to me we are stewards of the community right and so for me even as a fundraising you know professional I have moved around to different missions, especially in the role in which I serve, right? That's that's my whole jam. That's what I do. But I subscribe to the Code of Ethics, the Donor Bill of Rights. And I, I was talking to someone the other day. I've seen a lot of donor databases. I've seen a lot of capacity opportunities. I do not take that information from one client or one nonprofit to the other so you have to truly trust in, in the people in which you hire and which you work with that they too subscribe to that. So, you know, that's what's really important because, you know, even as a board member, you see some pretty yeah. private information and you don't want that to go with them to the next, you know, to the next company. So it's really doing good in an ethical core value kind of way. Well, and to your point, I mean, I hadn't really thought of it that way from this, from Bridget, which is a, in the finance area, that person knows how quickly people pay their bills, who's pushing, yeah. who's, you know, what's the financial strength of their relationships and their contracts and their grants. And so, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing. Well, okay. Let's go on because you know how I love myself some name with Hiles. 
Uh-oh, here we go. Name withheld, but it's from Baltimore. So at least we know where they're coming to us from. I know. I, know. I heard, I had, <laughs> I heard, I had a division in, in a cultural organization. I just found out that the CEO has a dashboard with a lot of data on it. Apparently this info is distributed to the board of trustees and not to me. I think the whole staff needs to see this info. Why is this so secretive? That's a word that is loaded, secretive. That is fascinating. First of all, I'd be curious where the data is coming from, right? So okay. it's program related. I'm working with an organization that every month we update, a, a, you know, essentially this dashboard of, of data points that you're talking about here, but it's provided from the staff, right? So it's provided from the program team uh, and the fundraising team, the accounting department, all of that. So it's really fed to the CEO for, for their dashboard. So maybe I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Maybe it's not intentional that it's secretive. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the fact that, oh yeah, I can share that. Not a problem. Yeah. I didn't know you wanted to see it. Yeah. Um, the other thing is most board meetings are open, not all, so you might want to ask, you know, if you're able to sit in, uh, observe one of the next board meetings, kind of like, you know, be the fly on the wall to hear the conversations. Um, I always find those extremely valuable because you can hear with another uh, lens. You can, you know, like you're really listening from a different angle. So I'm going to play the devil's advocate, stick with that final answer. I don't need to phone a friend that the secretive is truly a lack of thought. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I never even thought of that. That's a great idea. Here you yes. go. So I would come, I, I would approach it from that angle. I agree. And I, I think that um, I love what you said, you know, that CEO dashboard, that information is coming from somewhere, yeah. multiple places. But I also think, yeah, you know, a lot of times the CEO dashboard is so board driven that it's like the, the board needs this. This is part of the pro forma. This is part of your job description. This is, you know, where it always goes in the board packet. Um, you know, the board liaison, one of my favorite topics, you know, they're responsible for getting that and distributing it before the meeting so that generative discussion can relate to what's been on that report. You don't just distribute that board dashboard at the meeting. That's bad, bad form. You need to get that in advance. Yeah. So it could be that all the function and for, and formatting has been board driven. And I think it would be a super cool practice for the CEO or the board liaison or board chair to post meeting, do a recap that gets sent out to, you know, C-suite or your entire staff, depending on, you know, the size of it that says, Hey, this is where we're going. This is what we discussed. You are right. These are transparent things, except when it is not. And generally that will be um, something like something such as a CEO performance review or salary or something like that, where they, they leave the meeting and then they come back to public record. You don't see that very often. It's not exercised a lot because it's not really a best practice. But you are right. This information is public anyway. So right. 
for the most part. So, you know, it also makes me think about name withheld, the strategic plan in which the organization is operating from. And there should be KPIs or key performance indicators built into your strategic plan. That mm-hmm. might be a great way to uh, enter the conversation. What metrics can I help to provide you based off of our strategic plan and the goals and objectives in which we've set forth? So I think that's a great opportunity, again, to help you bridge that conversation. Mm-hmm. I love it. Really interesting. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and especially in a cultural organization, yeah. it's like they have like HIPAA issues or something that they can't be, you know, talking about. Yeah, that that just uh, permeates a different set of issues when I hear that. Okay. Um, Michael from Miami, Florida. I'm a board member of a nonprofit that serves children and after school initiatives. We are struggling with keeping our development officers. They don't last long somewhere. I have heard this is a common issue. This can't be true. Is it? Is it? <laughs> AFP reports that the average tenure across the United States of a development officer is 16 to 18 months. I'm going to repeat that 16 to 18 months is a tenure. That's right. And any HR professional will tell you that the common wisdom is that it takes a new employee about six months to learn their job, the culture, where to park, where to have lunch, everybody's name and general processes. So imagine if you bring on a new employee in development and you strip off, let's just be conservative, four months, four months for that person to become comfortable and fully functioning. You're left with maybe 12 months of activity. I think it's horrific. I wonder if that's changed now. And for those of you listening, AFP stands for the Association of Fundraising Professionals that provides the the data on that. And I have heard, you know, 18 months, I've definitely heard that. And I wonder if that's changed since the pandemic. I truly wonder over the last two and a half, three years, if that number has skewed in any manner. Um, So it's a lot to think about. There is turnover. It's it's standard. It's common. Um, There's, of course, ways in how you can help to retain your staff. And so that's really what I would what I would focus on is, um, you know, really for that continuity is how can we support you? What does your tenure look like here? You know, how can we make this a win win Mm -hmm. successful opportunity? So. It's frightening, Michael. I wish you the best. I know it's not probably the answer you wanted to hear from us. And yes, it is true that there is, um, you know, there is some turnover, but there are so many great ways to, you know, keep any of your team, including your development officers. So I have a question. I mean, he identifies himself as working uh, for a nonprofit that serves children and after school initiatives. Now, this is just anecdotal, but it seems to me that when you talk to or you work with um, universities, their folks stay forever. Have you have you noticed that? Yeah. Or is that just me? No, that's true. Like a higher ed. Yeah. Yeah. University kind mm-hmm. of like you, they don't seem to leave. 
Well, one of the things I know we're facing and many of the the opportunities that I work within, it's the vulnerable of the vulnerable, right? And so it's a very uh, trauma-informed community. It's very heavy and it's exhausting. It's exhausting emotionally. It's exhausting spiritually. So really baking in and and supporting self-care opportunities, personal development opportunities. I I do not like it when anyone brags that they have X amount of PTO hours saved up. To me, that's a problem. That that says to me, take your darn (laughs) day. You need a break. There's a reason we have these breaks, right? And that we literally need to decompress. And so it could be, you know, in light of the recent um, days we're facing that this individual is truly struggling with the current events and the current times. And we know that our children certainly have when it comes to our educational systems. Yeah. So there's a lot in there. There is. It's it's really interesting. Um, We need to kind of be open to what we're hearing about that, you know, from sector to sector. I really like what you said. I mean, I don't like it. I'm horrified by what you said, but I agree with you that it is it is um, a division within the sector. You know, what's harder work? What's a harder mission? Trauma informed work. It's really an interesting thing. I never thought about it. I think I always just lumped fundraising development all together with those people. But I think you're right. I see your point. You are the nonprofit nerd. Thanks. Hey, push up my glasses. glasses. (laughs) Okay, sister, let's go to the next question. And this comes to us from Shell or Shelly. I don't know how you say it. Sorry, Denver, Colorado. Our COO is thinking about combining an organization-wide training session with the board. The thought is that board members would learn what we require, expect, and track from the staff. We would also address policies and procedures that we all need to follow. Do you think this is a good or not so good idea? I think you're opening a big can of worms. (laughs) Really? I was like, I think this is a great idea. I do. I think that is too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, I think there's a, a great opportunity to pare this down. Maybe you have, you know, some of your board members, some of your staff members. Again, like I, I just think it's too many people at one given time. You know, I always say one person has five different opinions. So you put all your staff and all your board, and you've got a million opinions. I love what you're intending to do. Now that I love when it comes to the transparency of the processes, the educational component, that I love, but I just see this as opening a can of worms. Wow. Okay. Well, I totally disagree. (laughs) Great. I totally disagree. And I'll tell you why. For the very phrase that you used, one person has five different opinions. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in a policy strategy training, if you have a good trainer, right? If you have a good trainer, that the message needs to be cohesive and heard the same. There are too many board members that are out of touch with what the policies and the procedures and the structures are of an organization. And in my way of thinking, they need to maintain that same that same strategy, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, there might be some nuanced things or more or less that they need to take on, but they need to be precisely held to the same standards, if not more. And so I don't know. I just love this idea. I thought it was such a great idea. I did this once early in my career um, as a as a trustee of an organization, a cultural organization. And um, I learned things from that joint meeting that it might have taken me years if if maybe never even learning them. And it was a, a lot of things that were more germane to the, the operational side of the institution. But it was really powerful for me. But it was not a discussion format. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a training. It was like somebody, a professional speaker delivering the message and the policies and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm fascinated, Jarrett. Well, I'd love to hear what other people think too. Yeah. <laughs> that's I'm, my thought. Yeah, that's my thought. I have not obviously swayed you. No. Okay. I love no. Okay. Well, I'm not inviting, no, I'm not no, inviting no. you. I'm not inviting you to my joint meeting then, apparently. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Let's talk. Oh, another name with help. This time from Santa Fe, New Mexico. We have a CEO who's retiring and we have not found a replacement yet. This is a marketing question of sorts, but should we send a press release saying she is leaving? We want to honor her service, perhaps get some interest from job candidates, and yet we don't want her to become a lame duck during this remaining time. What do you suggest? Really good question, because we're talking about the great resignation and yeah, really interesting. Quack, 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 quack. Um, I'm going to say yes, send a press release, send a thank you, a gratitude, because this person has been a community champion and that needs to be recognized, I believe. I think it also gives you a great opportunity to talk about what's next, even if you do not have that replacement. Perhaps this you know, speaks to a national search. Perhaps this speaks to the opportunity of bringing in a professional interim executive director, right? So this is a very strategic opportunity that if done properly will absolutely help during your transition of the CEO. And I don't think that they will be a lame duck. I think, you know, again, that comes to perception, probably in the final couple of months, it's a lot of meeting and greeting and thank you and kind of passing that baton, which for others, it might seem like this person's only having lunch and coffee and cocktails. And I mean, are they really working? Yes. Yes, they are. They're working relationships. And that is what is so valuable to the organization and the legacy of that person, the mission and the incoming person. I agree. I think that's beautifully stated. And and I think too that um, I liked what you said. You know, honoring that champion spirit of leadership and letting them have a graceful exit. And you never know. I mean, it's positive uh, marketing if you, the way you present it and yeah. move forward. Also, sometimes we associate bad things with people leaving. Like, oh, were they forced out? Or oh, is there a problem? Right. Or, oh, are they not a good enough leader? And to, yeah. to to say no, this has been great. And even under you know the banner of what were some of the impacts and achievements 
during mm-hmm. this stellar tenure. You know, it's a good well, thing. You know, it goes back to what we said. Again, another shout out to Rick DeBrule. People will make up a story if you don't give it to them. <laughs> right. So tell them where this person is going. Tell them why their tenure is ending. Celebrate that. Right. right. Provide the story. Right. I love that. Really, really an awesome uh, commentary. Well, hey, Jared, it's been another great week. It's been another great episode. Yes, it has. Oh my gosh. Great questions. Keep them coming. You can reach out to myself or to Jarrett. We always want to know what you're thinking. Uh, We were chatting uh, not too long ago, Jarrett, offline, and we were talking with uh, somebody and saying how it's been really interesting now in our third year to see how the questions have changed. That's right. Now, I mean, they're really reflecting uh, a, a point in time with these pandemics and the maturation of our sector. And so, you know, we're, we're excited for uh, any questions that come our way. So keep them coming. Again, we want to thank all of our presenting sponsors. Without them, we would not be here answering the questions that come in. Bloomerang, your part-time controller, the American Nonprofit Academy, Nonprofit Nerd, Fundraising Academy, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, and the Nonprofit Atlas. They are here with us day in and day out as we march forward um, 500 plus episodes. Woo, Jarrett. Plus, yes. Amazing. Well, hey, everybody, have a great and restful weekend. And remember, as we remind ourselves, stay well so you can do well. We'll see you back here next time, everyone. <laughs>